0: From Miss Radio, I'm Angelo Gonzalez. This is Mr. Gonzalez's Neighborhood. Today, Paul Kephart, the founder, president, CEO, and principal ecologist at Rana Creek, the cohabitat company, is an expert in the sustainable development world. As Paul discusses integrating vegetation into built-in environments, we also talked about the insights on restoration ecology. From landscape architects down to the roots of the company in their nursery, Rona Creek is leading the sustainability march for improvement in human beings' cognitive functions and improving quality of life in our communities now. It's Wednesday, October 2nd. And welcome back to uh, Miss Radio Podcast. This is Angelo Gonzalez, your host, once again, coming in on June 7th. 6th? Oh, man. I don't. Just coming back from Switzerland, folks. I'm getting readjusted and reequipped to discuss sustainability and restoration here in the Monterey Bay Peninsula. Today, here I have Paul Kephart, my guest. Uh, who is the president, CEO, principal ec- ecologist, and designer, and pioneer at Rana Creek, uh, which is headquartered in Carmel Valley? Uh, they've done amazing works on on projects revolving around living roofs, living walls. Uh, you name it. From any type of uh, type of landscape you can imagine, from grassland, wetland, coastal landscapes that we're working with. Um, So, to first start off, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, Paul. Yeah,
1: thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm an ecologist and uh, landscape architect. I began my practice as a botanist along the Big Sur coast and worked with Mickey Munich at the Post Ranch Inn, in which case, uh, as an organic architect, Mickey practiced many of the... Uh, sustainability initiatives for buildings and site integration and uh, when Mickey did the post ranch in I was concerned about some rare flora in the area and he said oh that's not to worry we'll just put it up on top of the buildings and that became uh, a passion and obsession and uh, for me and my discipline is around plants and integrating vegetation into the built environment and from there i went on to do some great projects with bill mcdonough the uh, gap corporation i remember bill saying paul i want you to imagine you're a migratory bird and when you fly over the gap corporate building in san bruno you will be home and um From there, the California Academy of Sciences, the Vancouver Convention Center, the uh, large-scale examples of sustainable architecture and urban ecology came forth. This was at a time when LEED uh, became prevalent and certifications for green buildings. It was a time when we began to recognize um, the uh, healthy, building challenges that we all face living in the urban world. We now understand through the study of biophilia that when people are surrounded by clean air and healthy soil and vegetation, they have higher cognitive reasoning, memory is improved, productivity goes up and absenteeism goes down. And so all of these factors around the protection and enhancement of our environment has led me on a path of working on not only wildland areas, but urban areas and incorporating the study of restoration ecology into the landscape and into the architecture. So let me be clear, it's not, landscape isn't an amenity and adornment, and it's not something that stands alone as an object. Landscape and vegetation are a part of building performance in regards to energy, waste, water, human health and well-being, and a part of the nutrient cycle of a city. And that's where we're getting to the design of smart cities. Where the instead of doing this as an after fact or doing it a building at a time, we're beginning to understand how we incorporate the biological health of the planet and incorporate that into the urban world.
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah, I've never. I I mean I've heard of smart cities, but I don't even know where to begin. Uh, the idea of how we go about making that shift, right? Because as it is, we've gone past at least in this country, industrial uh, processes and have built up our infrastructure. So how does uh, a company like Rana Creek come in and sort of refocus that lens? Well, there's
1: great incentives now. And a part of our work, we also uh, work with developers or municipalities on establishing how there's economic incentive to do the right thing. And when we save energy, that saves money and when we have clean air and a healthy working environment people are happy and productive that has a direct effect on uh, productivity and so the benefits of green design have been measured and monitored in terms of the transition we think about green design or sustainable design and its evolution and its evolution of Uh, being a land-based movement focused on restoration and and restoration ecology, applying those principles to design work. And as certifications came about, as uh, the trend to want to improve the living conditions for all came about, then we saw the great examples of that work and their standalone projects. And somebody said to me, what good are these uh, green buildings surrounded in a sea of five hundred miles of sprawl, and the answer is they're only good as they're only as good as what they're connected to, hmm. and they're often um, refugio for um, certain species of birds or insects, or they're examples of what's possible to uh, inspire people to. Uh, learn more about and discover the value and principles behind sustainable design and that uh, for about the 12 last 12 to 15 years the time of early adoption is over and now we see uh, more of a trend a main street trend towards sustainable design because of the benefits and the payback uh, so that in many parts of the country we're seeing policy has shaped the way and led the way. San Francisco for example passed a green roof ordinance or a green ordinance where the tops of buildings are either solar or green for stormwater management, biodiversity, energy. So that's been the the way in which the business of sustainability has developed as and the way in which we began to interpret and share information and and now buildings are quite complex in terms of their monitoring of energy waste and water and so we have really good remote sensing and BIM models for buildings and their performance and it's uh, from an ecologist standpoint it's the integration of all these elements that's interesting to me Mm. is that how interconnected energy and waste and water biodiversity
0: really are Right, and that's something that speaks to me because it was one thing to see how from my framework of thinking comes from a public policy standpoint and looking how we can make more integrative cities that also incorporate elements of the environment and our health and well-being as human beings. And it reminds me of uh, a gentleman who we had spoke to last week from uh, this organization called African Parks. And they had made known that, like, if you love animals, you have to love people more, right? So that interconnectedness between how can we shift our way of thinking for not only environmental sustainability, but also social sustainability Mm -hmm. and our relations with one another Um, With dealing with, uh, I know you guys have a nursery, Uh, how does that structure your framework uh, in terms of delivering um, your product uh, as far as like on an ecological standpoint and also um, like on the supply chain? You know, what are some of the challenges? Well, our business model has been focused for
1: 30 years on a assess, design, build, grow and monitor so it's uh, and then with repeat monitoring throughout uh, closed-loop kind of approach where we have we would um, first do an uh, ecological assessment even in the heart of a city or in a urban area or peri-urban or uh, rural or wilderness and that drives our understanding of soil, and water, habitat, solar energy, wind speed and direction, all the environmental factors. And those environmental factors then lead to um, specific building typology uh, and plant material that are integrated within that typology. The plants we grow, site-specific plants from our nursery, some rare and endangered, some specific butterflies or bees or pollinators or hummingbirds. Um, <clears throat> and then the building part of it is we also go out and often people ask me to do things that haven't been done before that are either challenging or high profile or high risk. And we'll put that whole program in place as a delivery product delivery method that ends up with a sustainable building. a. Uh, living roof, wall, restored habitat, a waterway, uh, biological waste treatment, all of those kinds of initiatives are part of our product offering. And uh, then in addition, we have either through remote sensing or uh, manual monitoring, we want to know how these are. There's a loop a a feedback to where we understand
0: how things perform. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of our program DPMI, which you know we kind of operate on that same mm-hmm. closed loop um, method of of doing business uh, in a non organizational or NGO type fashion. Um, to where you at the very end, you have that monitoring and val- evaluating of the progress that you're making. Um, on a public policy standpoint, do you think we're at a point in time where we're sort of you know because you have certain things popping up in the news of course you know we had the landmark agreement with um, the Paris Climate Accords and that was diplomatically a huge success however uh, some scholars and critics think uh, that you know our targets and indicators are not being met on the ground level so how do you think um, we should play a role from the bottom up approach to uh, tackling you know, climate change.
1: and Look, don't get complacent. Yeah. And don't ever give up for a minute. A success story around policy doesn't mean it's a permanent protection or enhancement measure. It can be reversed. It can be taken away. And the pendulum swings both ways. And it's often when we get... Um, Uh, like we've done our job and now we're moving on and things are working uh, around policy that then the policies get reversed and I've seen this many times or they don't get applied so while these are success stories we cannot uh, lose our vigilance Um, around policy I'll give you a little story about the Transbay terminal in downtown San Francisco I was on the design team to envision a park, a a five-and-a-half-acre park on a terminal in the middle of the city, and my idea was around water integration and utilizing the water from laboratories to irrigate the plants and condition the structure and then provide a beautiful place for all creatures in the heart of San Francisco and um, I said it'll also save money and we'll divert wastewater from the sanitary sewer. All great policy measures, things that you would think a city would love. Well, the, we won the contest and <laughs> were selected as the designers. Uh, Caesar Pelli, the great architect, uh, led the design team. And they said to the city and the client said to us that, Paul, that's a great idea, but it's against the law. So at the time we proposed to integrate wastewater, save energy and water, and divert that wastewater from the the, um, combined sewer system, none of that was allowable through policy or through ordinance. So we worked for seven years with the health department and with the PUC and with the city of San Francisco to develop the design standards and guidelines that would allow us to treat both um, physically, chemically and biologically the wastewater for reuse on a commercial structure with a biological treatment on a roof, first time in North America. So it took, imagine working seven years to move the needle to where most people would think. Gee, what's the big deal in many countries in arid lands all over the world? We use wastewater. So that's a story about how careful we have to be about uh, uh, continuing to push for change and continuing the diligence of good design and thoughtful design because that's where policy can ch- shift and change is
0: through design work. Wow. Wow, seven years. That's just to move that pendulum just a little bit to the right, you Mm -hmm. know, where you can get your work done. And was that able to go reach fruition, that project? Yes, yes, that's been
1: built. It's the uh, large uh, park and beautiful attribute for downtown San Francisco. And since then, we've done that on the Vancouver Convention Center that the last time I was there, there were 11,000 people irrigating the roof. Oh and gosh. the thermal conditioning because of the vegetation lowered the energy demand and took the peaks and valleys off the energy curve throughout the year and modulated the the energy demand. So there was savings in energy, savings in money, a reuse of a waste, a resource and benefits for people and habitat. That kind of Integration of systems is what we live for at Rana Creek. That's the kind of work we really like to do.
0: Wow! Yeah, that nature-based approach really saves they, saves you, a lot of money. <laughs> you got it right, nature-based. Excellent. And so, moving uh, a little bit closer back home, um, mm-hmm. as far as Rana Creek's involvement in, within uh, the Monterey Bay Peninsula, I know you guys did some work on uh, some restoration with the Great Tide Pool restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, of course, uh, I just wanted to quickly go over this area, uh, how you came to be living Mm -hmm. in this area, and what's it like to work in this area? Well, I, I
1: came here when I was 17, and I landed on Cannery Row, and I became an artist and a painter, and began my study of ecology, and then moved to Big Sur. But since I've been in the area, I've done many, many restoration projects, including the the uh, Point Pinos Lighthouse when it was transferred from the Coast Guard to the City of Pacific Grove. That took 12 years of uh, NEPA, National Environmental Quality Act, and CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act work and biological work, as well as the restoration. Uh, That had been the initial focus of the company was habitat restoration. We've done riparian work along the Carmel River for restoring uh, floodplains and eroded um, riverbanks. Probably our most significant restoration project ever was the Carmel River uh, reroute for the dam removal that happened two years ago and that's 65 acres of restoration and we worked with uh, Granite Construction um, and we're part of that team to um, restore uh, the upland as well as the river uh, uh, habitat and flora and <clears throat> we've done restoration um uh, locally here for homeowners and landowners and ranches uh, and it's interesting that we apply those same principles to homes, and because this area is so rich in its biological diversity, and the flora, and it's so diverse in terms of climate and rainfall, just from you know being on the coast to going inland ten miles, it's a fascinating study in biology and 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 the environment. So we. Uh, We really like the work here, and this is our home, and I uh, can't see being any other place, but uh, what we've learned to do is take what we've learned here and apply it in other places on a similar site-by-site basis.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right on on the richness of ecology here in this area. It's phenomenal. I just started uh, as an intern with Congressman Panetta's office, and uh, one of the highlights of that was taking a look at, like, just the uh, biodiversity, it's just immense, you know, Mm -hmm. from from all the different wildlife and and fauna. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking on uh, the potential vision of Rana Creek moving into the future, into uh, much more nature-based approaches uh, as you guys have... Uh, pioneered really um, into this area. I know there was a video that really piqued my interest um, and it's on uh, Vimeo if you guys are on the lookout. It's uh, the Canary Road Plaza project. Mm-hmm. So I started diving deeper into that and I know there's a lot of red tape as far as mm-hmm. like even we can't find who the owner is of the mm-hmm. property right mm-hmm. so it just kinda stuck at this design phase. Mm-hmm. So Going through, uh, how does one navigate that? Is it just sort of wait and see? Or? Well, yeah, that's a that
1: is a um, interesting project. Uh, the uh, as you say, there's quite a bit of ambiguity around the uh, the future and the present for the developers and the owners. That's something I'm not really involved in. However, I was involved in creating a vision for the city. On a park that would connect the park to the shore and um, unlike other developments I wanted to see a clearly defined ecological approach so that we could enhance and restore that shoreline environment and really connect people to the shoreline and restore it looking at water what stormwater stormwater runoff looking at biodiversity and those types of plants, soil health and ecology. And um, that was the approach that I wanted to take and the, <clears throat> the applicants that um, put forth the project were really supportive of that approach. Now for our work um, going forward and into the future, I think we're looking at um, larger initiatives around climate change. And working with people like we did at the Grounded Summit this year to share our work and demonstrate how ecological design, green cities and green buildings, why they can't really have a significant impact on climate change. They are um, definitely lessons in how we can change the way in which we develop our cities. And have, and yes, we can sequester more carbon. We can offset carbon, and we can lower because we can lower energy use and water use, and they're both connected. So we look at a bigger now mandate for Rana Creek that's connected, of course, to biodiversity and ecology. But I think the most urgent uh, and pressing work ahead for all of us is around climate change.
0: Hmm. Yeah. We're running out of time. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, it, it it was something of a shift, and it's been sort of abrupt where we've moved into an era where it's now crisis, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a zeitgeist of a moment where we're sort of called to act because we're sort of taking witness to a lot of these um, uh, skeptics understanding how climate change can affect their lives, you know, up close and center. So it, it's interesting to see how we shouldn't just be focused on, like, sustainability, but, like, I remember <laughs> watching the video and you made comment, you are know, like, you know, if I look at sustainability just as the word and apply it to, like, my marriage, like, that's not something that would fit, right? Right. So it, it's as if the component of social sustainability it, it really ties in everything together in the sense that it connects the individual to uh, the society and, and the microcosm of society that's living in, which is community. Well, look,
1: I don't understand why we settle for mitigation. Hmm. And I don't understand why we only react to crisis to make a change in hmm. how we treat each other and our planet and all the creatures here. It's. Um, it sh- it, you know, we often uh, respond to the negative, to the threat, to the boogeyman, to the, you know, whatever it is that's a negative force that threatens our well-being. And that's the only time we take action. But I would like to change that conversation entirely. And I think what we need to do is it should be um, innate in all of us want to create a, and enhance and protect and restore the planet, If this is our home and this is what we all rely on, mm. and other creatures that, as well. So I would like to say it's not a crisis, and it's not a something we have to react to. But through good design and good intention and good policy that all of us will work hard and I see a big shift I'm an optimist. I think there is a shift in the way people are approaching uh, the way We live on the planet and that's to me is assuring Uh, We have our work cut out for us But I'm not really trying to uh, create villains nor am I willing to be a victim
0: Right Right. it is really that shift of thinking that really takes you to a point where you know because we live in a day and age where things are going so fast Mm -hmm. you know and it's as if there's a tragedy every single day so it kind of disenfranchises the individual into Mm -hmm. participating Mm -hmm. in their everyday realities right Mm -hmm. and when you shift that ethos and like have that ability to be like oh I can actually contribute you know, um, I remember thinking when I moved here and I was talking to a professor and he's like a volunteer with the Big Star Land Trust and they had a meeting one night and they're like, he's like, hey, you want to get involved? You know, like you want to work on restoration projects? I was like, what? Me? I don't know anything about restoration. He's like, it's, it's easy, you know, it's, it's um, and to be able to tap into that when you can poke that life and something else, you know, pop out the other end, it makes life much more creative. It's empowering. Yeah. For sure
1: and then you feel like you're part of a, you know the, the way in which we should naturally be on the world and towards the world.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for everything um, and uh, I think that's a good stopping point for today. If there's any other thoughts that you wish to express um, uh, more than welcome to hear those last words uh, for the Well, thank,
1: thank you for the uh, the interview and allowing me to share some of my thoughts and ideas and share the work of Ronna Creek and uh, I guess anybody wants to reach out and respond or give any feedback, I'm always available for uh,
0: conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I thank really you. I really appreciate you. All right, folks. Until next time. Um... Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. You've just heard an episode from Mr. Gonzalez's Neighborhood here in Monterey, California. The episode had been recorded this summer, and I'm happy to say it is finally published as part of our concept series on sustainability. For people to chime in and really be inspired, I hope... This helps find your way into nature with Paul's words. Paul brings a new fresh and exciting lens into the way we can participate with restoring our only home here, that's Earth, in case you were banking on Mars. Paul talks about how he shouldn't apply sustainability to his marriage, that it wouldn't be enough. Today, I leave you with a question, What does it mean to go beyond just sustaining our relationships? I know there's a lot going on, and sometimes just sustaining the relationship with ourselves can be difficult. But today, find three things that you are grateful for here on Earth. Grace allows us to wake up in the morning and feel the rush of cool air and hot water boiling to make a little magic each morning that is to say coffee but I digress I know for me it's my love I get to share with all of you it's the passion I get to work on daily and it's the beautiful environment I am so lucky to call home here on the Monterey Peninsula what are three things that you are thankful for today thank you for listening And I hope this has been encouraging for you in your path today.